When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This new era of of compassion has proven one thing, and that is that leaders can no longer have the luxury of choosing. You could be kind or you could get results. No longer. The new generation demands both in full measure. It is your best formula for creating thriving cultures. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show. Right in the middle, smack dab in the middle of season 13 with a returning guest today who is no stranger to the show, Nate Regeer, PhD, was a guest a couple years back and it's definitely time to talk to Nate again. Uh, Just to refresh your memory, Nate's dedicated to bringing compassion into the workplace. He's a former practicing psychologist an internationally recognized thought leader in social emotional intelligence, interpersonal communication, positive conflict and leadership, recognized as a top 100 keynote speaker. And Nate's also the co-creator of both Leading Out of Drama and The Compassion Mindset, and is the author of multiple books, including a new one that's literally just coming out. I think when this episode airs, uh, Nate is going to be within just a couple days uh, prior to the launch, I believe. So uh, hot off, literally hot off the presses or what is it? If it's like through Kindle, is that still hot? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if it comes whizzing in, um, fast, or maybe if you turn the speed up to 1.5, you can get it hot. Oh, there you go. I, I, well, and we could, if it was like records, we could turn your voice up high and make you there we go. like a chipmunk. But <laughs> anyway, whether it's hot, whizzing along, whatever it is, uh, the name of the book is Compassionate Accountability, How Leaders Build Connection and Get Results. This is a fantastic book, and you're definitely going to want to check this out. Uh, Nate also hosts a podcast called On Compassion with Dr. Nate. So I know as a fan of human-centered leadership, you're going to want to check out that podcast too. All right, Nate, welcome <laughs> to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. David, thank you so much. It's great to be here. And thanks for having me back and for your support of this new book. I know human-centered leadership is on a lot of our minds now, so I'm looking forward to talking about a couple angles on that. Absolutely. And uh, and I also, uh, one thing of your bio- biography I missed was uh, the, you're the, the founder, co-owner, CEO of uh, Next Element, uh, you know, consulting and training, all the good work that you do through Next Element to, to help the world with uh, compassion and compassion and accountability. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. So uh, as a returning guest, I've already asked you about your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. So I'm not going to repeat that, but you do uh, in the book, Compassionate Accountability, you take us back to your childhood and Mm. some of your roots in compassion. And I thought our listeners would love to get a flavor of that because it's a great introduction to you Mm. if maybe they missed that episode a couple of years ago for our newer listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those of you who, who have read other of my books or heard me speak know that I'm a son of a missionary. I'm a missionary kid, son of missionary parents who were actually come from rural Kansas. They're farmers. My mom was a nurse and, and they wanted to go to Africa to serve and, and not 
serve according to their gifts. My dad was a farmer. So he, it was about agriculture, appropriate, appropriate agriculture. And my mom was a nurse. So it was about public health. And um, my, my upbringing in Zaire was pretty idyllic in, in, in tropics in the, in the late sixties, early seventies, but things got a little bit more dicey in, uh, in my high school years when I lived in Botswana, which was in Southern Africa, right next to South Africa during apartheid. And so growing up in a, in a Mennonite kind of pacifist background with kind of that, that very peace oriented, turn the other cheek kind of, kind of, um, preaching, but also being around a lot of strife and, and, and conflict and destruction and drama, it was really a challenge for me. So, so my whole life, I've been trying to reconcile how, how do we show up? How do we put the human at the center of leadership when there's all these things going on that are challenging us? I love the way that those, those childhood experiences have led to the mission and the work that you're doing and the intersection of all of those, those different elements. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about compassion uh, and compassion and accountability, one of the things that I, uh, that, that I had never thought about before that you lay out in the book early on is like the history of compassion. Mm. Uh, you almost break it down by like eras and with more recent eras being more granular, but yeah. I'm wondering if you might like walk us through just, it's good context so we can think mm -hmm. about compassion and this, this sense of compassion in the world and the workplace and, and how it's kind of been viewed. Yeah. You know, there's when, when I was working on this book, this book is both a prequel and a culmination. And so it is the culmination of, of 15 years of research and practice and really trying to refine our models, but it's also a prequel to where were, what was kind of the founding ethos and the founding philosophy of Next Element. But we've been working with compassion for a long time and I've been living with it for a long time. So so yeah, there's these eras where we kind of started with this notion of compassion as kind of this Eastern thing, you know, people meditate and they, they, they do these things and, and it's kind of a good personal practice, but it really wasn't part of the mainstream business. And then I learned a lot about the power of compassion in wellness coming in, in the early 2000s, late 1990s about, wow, there's some health benefits to this stuff. It's good for us. Then businesses started getting interested when they started caring about wellness in the workplace. And so we kind of track these relationships over time, um, all the way up to one, one era is called compassion inclusion. How does, or compassion in the, in this era of inclusiveness and how do those two go together? But man, then the, then the pandemic hit and that broke everything apart. And so the pandemic compassion is the era right before the one that we're trying to usher in, which is compassionate accountability. Really think that it's kind of what's next. And it's more of a quantum leap forward in terms of how we've related to compassion in the workplace. Well, let's talk a little bit more, tease out a little bit of that uh, pandemic. You said kind of blew everything apart. And I know in some of the research that we've been doing, we're seeing the, there's really this bifurcation where uh, some people are feeling a greater sense of compassion coming out of the pandemic and gosh, our shared humanity and all this kind of thing. And others, it could be really divisive mm, and, and mm. some of the fear under undergirding all that. So what, when you were saying pandemic era compassion and blowing everything apart, yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, there was, you know, all of us that have been working in companies with leaders throughout throughout the pandemic have seen this. And I call it the pendulum of compassion. And when the pendulum swings to one direction, we would say there's more compassion. When it swings the other, there's less. 
And what we saw right away when, when the pandemic hit was this kind of sense of kind of global fear and anxiety. And we realized this is everywhere and it's coming. And so what happens when everybody's afraid is sometimes we come together because, Hey, we're all afraid. We all have the same thing in common. We're all going through this together. And I, you know, I sitting in my home trying to figure out what to do can relate to someone else sitting in their home in another country. And we're somehow connected by that. So the pendulum was over to this idea of, Hey, we're all in this together. For Man, a day or two. <laughs> yeah, for a day or two. And boy, did that didn't last too long because then the, the vaccine, the blaming, the vaxxers, anti-vaxxers, the this, the that, the wearing masks, not wearing masks. And all of a sudden, everything became so divisive. And then add cancel culture to this whole thing and, and all the politics. And all of a sudden, it was like, wait, what just happened to compassion? Um, but then it swung again. It's like, well, we need to let everybody work from home, everybody do whatever, like anything goes because we got to just keep things going. But then after a year or two, it was like, wait, we got work to do. We got to get back to work. It's time to get serious. Are people really even working at home or, you know, it's time to put, get your jammies off and start being accountable <laughs> for what you're actually doing. Right. And so now it's like, well, where's the compassion? And, and so this swinging is just not sustainable. No, no end of the pendulum really works. Um, but, but the swinging is the problem. We really have to reconcile this. And that, that swinging that you're describing there, I, and I've heard this with some of our clients too, or with different leaders that we've business leaders we've, we've spoken with one in particular sticks in my head as you were describing, they are that wearing their jammies, you know, <laughs> was this, there was this business leader who said, you know, we've kind of been stroking everybody's hair mm -hmm. long enough, which I've, found to be demeaning. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not true compassion to begin with. <laughs> that's what sounds like an animal, right? I know. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, it's, it's not, I didn't feel that that was very human centered to begin with, but uh, my judgment anyway, the way it came for me. Um, but I didn't feel that that was genuine compassion. If it was, maybe it was letting everything go. Cause that's what he felt that he needed to do to get through. But uh, I don't know if that was genuine compassion. So as we get into this conversation about compassion and accountability, I want to lay the foundation and we're going to define terms. We're going to find mm -hmm. all about it and, and switches and all kinds of good things. But yeah. before we do any of that, sitting here listening as a leader, got a lot going on. Why is compassion and accountability at the 50 foot, 50,000 yeah. foot level so important for leaders to understand and practice? Yes. And I love your story there. That's not real compassion. It's placating. It's, it's buying time. It's, it's patronizing or matronizing what you're describing. Let's, let's just get a common definition of compassion here. And I'm going to be honest in this book, I take aim at the current definition of compassion. I don't like it. I don't think it's sufficient. I think it's misleading. Lots of great things going on in the compassion world. For example, the research is so solid that compassion at work is good for business. It's good for teams and it truly makes a difference. And that leaders who figure this out are better leaders and have better results. The data is crystal clear. So I'm not going to try to argue that, but we have, to, we have to get our minds around what is compassion. And I think a lot of times we think of compassion as this kind of empathy, this altruism, we're just helping people out. You know, we're giving them a break because they're struggling today. And maybe tomorrow they'll figure it out. We don't have to keep brushing, you know, why, patting their hair or patting right. their head. Um, but let's go back to the Latin root of the word compassion, which means with suffer, struggle with, suffer with, not 
there, it's very different. And this is, this is going to get to your question about leadership is think about the other kinds of ways that we struggle. We could struggle against, which makes everything an adversarial win-lose situation. We know those kinds of situations. We could struggle instead of, which means, oh, here, let me take over all of your work and all of your emotional burden so that you don't have to suffer. And there's lots of reasons why we do it, but we know that doesn't end well either. And then the other kind of struggle is to struggle alone, which is don't tell anybody what's going on. Don't ask for help. Don't get vulnerable and just pretend that you're just this island. We know how that spirals. That leads to burnout. So those are three kinds of struggle that don't work. But think now, now if you go back, look how different it is when we think about struggle with, because what didn't go away is the struggle. But what is happening is we are alongside people. And that's what leadership is about, is struggling together towards a better outcome. So how do you do that? We have to rethink what compassion really is. And, and then I'll just share this and, and, and be quiet. <laughs> but leadership for, or, or compassion for a leader is the practice of demonstrating that people are valuable, capable, and responsible in every interaction. And that's a mouthful. There's three big things there that we can unpack, but that's what real compassion is. And that opens up a whole new world for how leaders embrace this and for a new generation of, of human-centered leadership. All right. So compassion is struggling with, as opposed to some of the other unproductive forms of struggle. Mm -hmm. This is the one that actually has some, some positive outcomes for right. us as leaders. Let's get to two other words that you're careful to... to um, define precisely for us, mm -hmm. and that's accountability and responsibility. Yeah. Um, because you use those words a lot in the book, and it's easy to misunderstand or interpret them yeah. differently. What do we mean by those, and what happens when we confuse them? That's really good, and it's a good time to talk about that, because the word accountability has a lot of challenging connotations. I'm holding people accountable. People need to be held accountable for the actions. Sometimes you have to bring the hammer down, and, and you, know, you can see where that goes. So responsibility is about me. It's about my thoughts, my feelings, my behaviors. It's about the things over which I am able to respond. That's responsibility. So it's what do I have hundred percent control over my thoughts, my feelings, my behaviors. That's it. Nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. Accountability though, is about scope of results. So when I say I am accountable for the financial performance of this organization, sounds like I'm the CFO, I'm accountable, meaning I have to answer for it. But I'm not responsible for independent spending decisions of a department leader. They actually are responsible for their behavior on how they spend their money. I'm accountable for that, but I'm not responsible for it. I am responsible for my thoughts, my feelings, my behaviors in how I deal with that person and how I attempt to influence them or how I communicate with them. So the difference is accountability can be over the results of a lot of people's work, but, be, but responsibility is only for my behavior. And so it's our, I find this distinction interesting and, and helpful as we think about navigating and not just our work relationships and our leadership, but any relationship in life really, but uh, the responsibility of our thoughts, feelings, behaviors, the behavior choices we make, the actions we choose, mm -hmm. achieve our results for which we are accountable. Absolutely. 
but that's the distinction is, and so presumably sometimes we can take 100% responsibility, follow through to the very best of our ability and objectively with the right behaviors. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's always going to work out. Doesn't always mean we can control those outcomes, um, even though we have to answer for them. And that's hard. That is what it means to be a leader. Um, but we can compare, we, we can, we can mess things up so easily without it, with good intentions. Um, you know, it, it starts with, I desperately want this project to be done, but my people aren't meeting the deadlines. And so I jump in and help them finish. Mm -hmm. And I am being irresponsible in that moment because I am now taking over responsibility for something they are responsible for because I'm not managing my emotions around that accountability. And I'm scared about how it's going to reflect. I don't want to look bad. I, the buck stops with me, which is really interesting because um, actually the buck didn't stop with you. It crossed the line and it's, I don't know where it stops because you keep <laughs> doing their work. Um, so instead of having tough, hard conversations with your people, instead of being clear about boundaries, and I, and I have a lot of kind of phrases on how do we have those conversations where we cannot take over responsibility for the things that they're responsible for, but we are still accountable for it. Um, and it's patterns like that. I'm sure you're familiar with this over, over years and decades, patterns of this kind of taking over responsibility, leave us tired and frustrated. And then we turn on our people wondering why they're lazy or why they don't get anything done or we turn on ourselves that we're somehow incompetent as leaders, but it really started with us not being clear about who's responsible for what. Mm, powerful. So I, I appreciate that you start with that mindset because there's so many outworkings from that foundation and, and, and those definitions of where those things fall. Mm. So, All right. We're talking with Nate Regeer, the author of Compassionate Accountability, How Leaders Build Connection and Get Results. And we've been talking about the difference between uh, like a, what compassion actually is, the struggle with accountability, the scope, the things that we ultimately answer for and responsibility. What is it that we have 100% ownership for, which is only our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So getting all that clear. All right. Hey, will you record the 30-second elevator speech for my book? Because that was brilliant. That was really good. Thank you. <laughs> Your words. <laughs> <laughs> you, you said it very nicely. I'm going to get a pinch and audiogram out of this. Oh, there you go. Hey, we, uh, anything we could do to help. Yeah. But, you know, but it's, uh, that's what it's all about is like, these are the key takeaways. Yeah. And, and I really do appreciate the way that you lay it out for us. Um, you know, you talk about, uh, and I want to get into these three switches and you mentioned them earlier, value, capability, responsibility. So, Listeners, if you caught that and you're like, wait, I want to come, we're coming back. But before we do that, uh, there's a, another trap that you talk about that trips up leaders. And that's the, the problem with balance mm -hmm. and this idea of unbalancing between these things. So um, last mindset question, then we're going to jump into those, those switches. But yeah. what is the how does balance trip us up? Oh, it's such a great question. Balance, let's go back 100 years at least the industrial revolution. Let's let, let us look at when we started moving from to work being time-based and production-based industrial revolution. You put in your time, you put in your, you, you, you clock in, you clock out. And our value was based on our accomplishments that were measurable number of widgets, whatever. And we are naturally achievement-oriented species. We love to do stuff, make stuff, get stuff done, accomplish things, measure it, and show the results. 
But originally, we're also affiliative species. We are relationship people. We need to be in relationships. We need each other to survive. Um, so when push comes to shove, most people find themselves wondering, oh, no, if I, if I push for the results, I'm going to damage the relationship or threaten it. But if I preserve the relationship, I'm not going to get the results, and then I'm going to have a problem there. And so immediately they're like, oh no, what am I going to do? Either I pick one and deal with the consequences, or I try to do this balancing act. And that whole thing is already based on a fundamentally false belief about what's going on, that somehow relationships and results are intention and they're naturally competitive and they're not. And that's, that's what we're trying to say in the book is this is not an either, or it's a both. And, and so balance is the wrong question. The real question is, if you accept that compassion includes accountability and that you can't actually build relationships without accountability, it's like going through the black hole. There's a whole new world on the other side of that kind of that mindset shift. Cannot emphasize that enough. I mean, it's just at the heart of you want to be an effective human-centered leader. That, mm. that and is at the heart of everything. We call it land in the end over here at Let's Go Ugh. Leaders, but you know it's that that whether you're talking about confidence and, and humility, results and relationships, uh, compassion and accountability, like they're not in opposition. Yeah, they are interlinked. Land in the end, I love that. You know, we were both at ATD recently in San Diego, and and um, the the keynote presenter, um, Adam Grant. Um, he's talking about leadership and continuing to change. And one of the things he said was that honesty is the greatest form of loyalty. It's the ultimate manifestation of loyalty. He's saying it, that connection is built through the tough stuff, not instead of it or on the other end of the spectrum. Absolutely. And if we're talking about accountability, to not practice accountability with our team, that's yeah. not kindness. Mm -hmm. It, no. I mean, for so many reasons. All right, let's get into these three switches. So okay. we've got value, capability, and responsibility. So first, let's just talk about the metaphor of a switch because yes. this is so helpful and some of the examples you use and so forth. But so uh, break it down because the word yeah, switch, yeah. that means different things to different sure. people. Hey, I got hit with a switch when I was a kid. So that's not the I kind know. of switch not we're talking about. Not those kinds of switches, not those kinds. So, so we've established that compassion is more than just being kind and nice. It includes... Um, demonstrating these three things, that people are valuable, capable, and responsible. That's great as a, as a working definition, but we have to translate into something visual, something kinesthetic, something people can remember. And so imagine the metaphor of switches. Right now you're seeing this because you are on video with me, um, but everybody's house has switches and wall plates. And I have a three, a three banger here. Um, and with any electrical switch, there's tons of energy just sitting there waiting to be used. It's just like chomping at the bit, right? And as soon as you turn the switch on, the lights come on, the things run, it's all these cool things. So compassion is about turning on these switches that allows all of this amazing energy that we have between us as human beings to flow. And so we've identified each switch correlates with one of those three qualities of our humanness, which is we're valuable, we're capable, and we're responsible. And behind each switch is a fundamental belief about who we are and how we are with each other. Once we accept that belief, then we can start executing the behaviors that turn that switch on, keep it on, 
and allow the energy to flow in our relationships and at work. Okay. So we've got these switches that kind of have an on or off. I don't know if there's an in-between. And some dimmer. Yeah. People ask. There there's are. A dimmer. Okay. Yeah. So there's, there's, a, uh, there's a continuum, but so yeah. to make it easy, we'll think mm -hmm. of value, capability, responsibility, and, and on or off between the two uh, ends of, of each of those. Um, can you walk us through a little bit about like in practice and, and yeah. how each of these actually work? We can take we'll a do. time and then stop and, and dive into it. You bet. And feel free to stop me anytime here. So it does start with the value switch. We have that one on the left side, kind of moving left to right. Um, and the first switch is value. And it, it is underscored by the fundamental belief that human beings, all human beings are unconditionally worthy and worthwhile be, by nature of being human. We don't have to earn it. It is, it is, we are just valuable because we're humans, no strings attached. And what this, when the switch is on, we affirm and value that through behaviors like affirming someone's experience, even if you can't relate. Just yesterday, my nephew, I was over visiting my nephew and, and his wife and their young daughter, and a cat ran by and she was really freaking out about the cat. And one person in the environment said, oh, the cat's not going to get you. It's fine. One person was like, oh, I'll go put the cat inside so it doesn't scare you. And I, I watched this and I said, what would happen if we treated everyone as valuable? And we actually validated her experience. And I leaned to her and I said, Iva, I've been scared of cats too. They have really sharp claws. And she looked at me and breathed this sigh of relief. Like, I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. Um, when someone says, oh, you're going to be fine. Or when you, when you bring as an, as a, a really stressed out person to your boss and say, I'm really struggling with this. And like, well, I mean, you got to get through it. Or you think you're struggling. You should have seen what it was like when I got my promotion, you know, or, or just say something like, well, you don't need to be worried. It's going to be fine. Those seem like nice things to say, but what we're really doing is totally undermining that person's humanity, which is their experience. I know in your courageous leaders work, you talk about, it's not enough to just say, I have an open door policy. You truly have to encourage and engage and affirm that people can bring their experiences and you're going to honor them. And that's what value looks like when it's on and off. Now that's just one of the three switches. Cause it's not anything goes, it's not every time a cat walks by, we're going to give you a hug and tell you everything's fine. Um, but it's but starting we, with, it's starting with that acknowledgement of their experience and who yeah. they are and seeing and valuing that human being. Yeah. And that's one of, I think, nine strategies, behavioral strategies that I teach in the book about how you can affirm a person's value as a human being. When the switch is off, we start to see value as conditional. Conditional on where you're from, what the color of your skin is, how much money you make, what your education is, how long you've been in this position. And we can go on and on and on your tenure. And those become conditional value, which sets up a really negative dynamic in the workplace. And I mean, even we can be conditional in our value based on the person's performance too, which is different than their core yes. dignity and humanity. And one of the fundamental um, tenets of the value switch is separating the person from the behavior, which means you are always okay. You are always valuable. And we can talk about behavior that didn't match performance, behavior that was inappropriate, behavior that was risky, um, but you are always okay. Um, so I sometimes ask people, you know that someone's turning the switch off when it just got personal. 
You know that feeling? It's like, oh boy, we're not talking about my behavior anymore. We're talking about me and this is not feeling good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I, for me, it, one of the things that I've always, I don't know, can't say always, but for a long time as a leader, I have believed that it is entirely possible. And, and I hope that anytime I'm making this decision to separate somebody from the team, to fire somebody, if put it, say it yeah. bluntly, it, not talking about layoffs or finances or anything, but talking about for, for performance, for behavior, that that should be an act of compassion, that that should be an act of seeing the value in that other person and saying, yeah. this is not <laughs> right now, this is not working for you yeah. or us yeah. and, and your own interest and the team's interest and yeah. every human being's interest here. Yeah. There's something else out there for you, but it's not here. Totally. And how do we struggle with someone through something that complicated and difficult when we're the one making that decision that's affecting their life? Um, in, in, in some of my keynotes, I talk about, I tell a story about a nurse manager who fired four nurses in one afternoon. And she learned that those nurses would be fired that morning in an email from her boss that said, we're downsizing your department by 10%. Here's the people, they got to be gone by five. Mm. And she did it with compassion, accountability. And I was in there with the room with her and it was, it was an excruciating, but also incredibly transformative experience for her and those four people and what it did for their relationship in the future. And what it did for her was pretty, pretty incredible. So these things can be done. Do you mind, since we're on that practical example, you mind giving us a glimpse of, you know, I know there was a lot there, but one or two of the, the ways that she approached. Yeah, you know, she did. She knew that these people that were being targeted were not. Prob- There's probably tenure. It's probably about budget. It was not about who the people. Of course, you know, and and she didn't really want to do it, but she's like, it's my job. I am loyal to my company, and so we 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 prepped by working with her. And how are you going to keep your three switches on for yourself and for them through these conversations? And we practice. We got. We have a template for how to do this. And how are you going to validate their experiences? How are you going to be a resource without trying to fix it for them? You can't. And how are you going to stick to what is most important in this conversation and not get derailed? And so the conversations, you know, they would go something like, you know, I can imagine you've been anxious all day waiting for this meeting. Here's what I'm here to tell you is we're downsizing and I'm, and you're one of the people we're letting go. And you can count on me to do everything I can to create an exit plan that's going to work for you. Um, and then they would turn it back over and say, how are you? And she would just wait. Sometimes the person would cry. Sometimes the person would freak out. Sometimes the person would say, I know why you're firing. You're just a pawn of the administration, blah, blah, blah. And do all these things to try to derail and get her switches turned off. And she would just come back again and say, I know you're angry and that's okay. I would be too. And like I said, I'm here to help you problem solve what's going to happen. But this decision is final and I care about you as a person. And sometimes it would take three or four or five rounds. And after each firing, it was like Rocky come to the side. I mean, we'd wipe the brow, put the Vaseline on, you know, wipe the cuts and get her in in some water. And she goes back in and did this four times in one afternoon. And it was excruciating. I mean, hard, but at the end she said, at least I conducted myself with dignity with my switches on. Um, And uh, two months later, she met one of those women in the grocery store and it was a very awkward situation. And that woman came to her and gave her a hug and was crying and, and talked about how she felt the compassion and the accountability at the same time and experience that you, I knew you respected me. I knew you were doing what you needed to do. Um, That nurse manager quit the next day, actually, after doing that, she's like, I can't, I can't do this. Um, 
Last thing she did was fire four people with this. Wow. That's a great example of these kinds of things in practice. All right. So we've been talking about value. Once again, we are talking with Nate Regeer, author of Compassionate Accountability, How Leaders Build Connection and Get Results. And so we're talking right now about three switches that uh, that go into the compassionate mindset. And so we've been chatting about value and what that looks like on and off. Let's move to capability. Yes. What is this? Let's move to capability because capability. Because the value switch is probably most aligned with what we traditionally think of as compassion, altruism, empathy, kindness, we're helping each other out. Capability might be most aligned with what most people have heard of maybe the the growth mindset, like Carol Dweck's work. Um, Capability comes with a fundamental belief that anyone can learn and grow under the right conditions and anyone can contribute. And so everyone deserves the invitation to learn, to grow, to expand, to be challenged, to to be part of the solution and to co-create their future. And when that switches on, we believe that capability is possible. And so if if I'm in a relationship with you and I believe that capability is possible, then I'm gonna be curious. I wanna learn about you. I wanna invest in you. I wanna give you resources. I wanna ask you to do more. I want to put you in situations where you can fly and you can be challenged and you can grow and you can master new things. Um, But if I believe capability is limited, I start to have these self-limiting beliefs and other limiting beliefs like, well, you know, you didn't come from the right school, so you wouldn't understand, or she's too short to play front row in volleyball and all these kinds of things. So progressively, we just start to limit the, the investment that we make in people, limit the curiosity and limit the opportunities. And that can become completely systematized in organizations. Um, and create these glass ceilings and all these other things. Um, So again, there's a lot of strategies. Once we believe, we ask ourselves, do I believe the capability is possible? And if so, how would I act in this situation? And one of the the parts of the book that I enjoy is that you've got a quiz for each of these switches that can walk through and it gives us a chance to think about different statements like, huh, is that statement coming from a switch that's on for that or off for that? And, and, uh, and there's, you know, you can't, it's, it's well-designed because you can't just go, oh, it's alternates or they're all one or the other. You know, you really have to think these through and then you get walk through the answers. So with the, the switch of capability, uh, if I'm recalling uh, the story correctly, one of the examples you gave that I, I found powerful was a construction company. Like there's a father, son, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of conflict going on there. And I thought this is a good example to kind of bring mm-hmm. to life the capability mm-hmm. switch. Let me tell that story real quick. If you wouldn't mind, yeah. Yeah, this is a, a tough one. A, a big uh, regional construction company, I got contacted by the HR director and said, we have a real problem, a succession problem here is father is moving out and really moving away from the business, but but there is no succession plan. And the son seems to be the heir apparent, but these two have offices next to each other and haven't spoken in months. Like this is, this is a toxic situation. They won't talk to each other. They seem to hate each other. Can you work with the leadership team? Cause they're all feeling the flack. So I'm like, yeah, I said, what would you consider success? And she said, well, if, if they can make it through a couple hours with you without dropping the F bomb, without storming out and, and losing it, that would be success. And I thought, well, okay, I'm up for a challenge. And this was the first time we ever used the concept of the switches. And we got this group together and we said, Hey, we're going to be working on some stuff today. Could we, could we just start with some ground rules, you know? And, and, and I drew the switches on the board and I said, could we just, you know, agree that we're all valuable, capable, responsible, and, and just try to, try to act as if that's true today. 
affirm that in ourselves and each other. Yeah, 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 cool. Everybody thought that was great. And about, you know, a, a while in, there was a discussion that got a little dicey and man, the father shot the first first arrow across the bow. He looked at his son, his son said something and he's like, yeah, if you weren't so more interested in your wine collecting than you were in running a company or coming to work. And the son, I could see he like, he got started to get up. The blood was coming up in his neck and I could tell he was about to like close his book and get out of there. And I was like, all right, time out, time out, time out. All right. And, and I, and I thought, let's just try the switch thing. And so I was like, okay, dad, right now, when you just said that, I'm just curious, where was your switch switches? And without skipping a beat, he was like, oh, because my capability switches off because I treated my son like he can't learn and grow and there's no point in investing in him. I'm like, okay, cool. I get that. Nice insight. I said, just hypothetically, if your switch was on, what would you say differently to him? And he looked his son in the eye and he said, son, I would teach you. I would invest in you. I would teach you everything I know because I don't have a lot of time left and I know you can. And tears started to well up in the son's eyes. And for a moment, it was like, the I don't know, this, the, the clouds cleared. And crazy thing is, is he turned his switch right back off by his next <laughs> comment. Um, so it's not that everything went great. I mean, they didn't, nobody dropped the F-bomb and there was a lot of positive energy. But what that proved to me is when you change the way you look at things, you can instantly behave differently. And he did. He knew exactly what he needed to do. He described it and looked his son in the eye when he said it. Um, now, he didn't want to do it, but he could have. He was capable. Powerful example. Mm -hmm. And and leads me to a, a follow-up question that I am curious as people are listening, and, and we'll get to responsibility in, in just a moment, but we talked about value, capability, and, and we're going to talk about responsibility. When we're recognizing... Well, we got to take a step back when something's not working in our relationship with people and in our, uh, our attempts to be compassionate, accountable, uh, practice, compassionate accountability as leaders, when that's not working, one of these switches is, or more, or probably in the off yeah. position, how can we start to self-diagnose to create, if we don't have Dr. Nate in the room with us <laughs> to, to help go, Hey, hold on folks. Yeah. Uh, how can we start to self-regulate, to become aware, to figure out what's going on for ourselves? So important. And you mentioned the quizzes. That's one really good way. And each of the chapters that I that I have on the switches gives very specific behaviors. And then it gives specific words and phrases. And so it's it the goal is to get very practical, very specific. Because so many times leaders say, give me the words. What are the words? And they wanted that tangible and that specific. So we do that. And then there's also an assessment at the end called the compassionate accountability assessment. And it you can assess yourself. And it's very explicit about the behaviors. Um, and we have an implementation section that encourage, encourages people to do a 360. Ask people to give you feedback on these behaviors. That's the best way because they know they're seeing it and experiencing it every day. Oh, you've got a couple tools that are super practical. So both on the diagnostic side of where, where am I? What's going yeah. on? What do I need to be doing here? And then also on the prescriptive side of, okay, now that I know where I need to be focusing, you really make it practical, tangible, yeah. and some of the value of, of compassionate accountability and, and why I am strongly recommending it to everyone <laughs> listening here. Thank you. 
All right, so looking at our time, I want to make yep. sure we get we'll a couple quick. more things here. Responsibility switch. So this is yes. our third switch. Yes. And, um, you know, humans are valuable. That's awesome. Humans are capable. And because we're valuable and because we're capable, we are inherently responsible. Because we are in communities and we work together to get things done, our behaviors matter. And we are answering to each other for things. And so responsibility, the switch of responsibility comes with a fundamental belief that no matter what happened before, I am 100% responsible for what I do next. That's it. No more, no less. And if people would just follow that, you would be amazed. Mm. Because when the switch is on, we share responsibility. We ask questions like, so what do we do next? How will we make it better? What do I want in this situation? What do I have control over in this situation? Um, what are our highest priorities here? Um, when the switch is off, we want to isolate responsibility. So shared is on, isolated is off. And isolating responsibility takes many forms, all the way from pointing fingers and blaming. That's obvious. Isolating responsibility could also be defaulting to thinking I'm the problem when I know I'm not. Have you ever met those people that as soon as something's not quite going right, they're like, my bad, or I probably did that, or I'm sorry. They like default to pointing fingers at themselves. And that's not healthy or compassionate either, because that takes over way too much responsibility for other people's stuff. Or what about when you withhold information because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings? That's being irresponsible because you are now not letting them have their feelings, which were never yours to start with. You don't get to control them. You don't get to manage them. You don't get to own them. You're responsible for being honest and clear. They are responsible for how they respond. And so these are the kinds of conversations this chapter is about. Um, responsibility is not just for behaviors. It's also for how we, the stories we tell ourselves and the way we manage our emotions. Uh, it's incredibly important and powerful. And, you know, as you're, you're talking about the, uh, you know, the concern about hurting somebody else's feelings, that's one of those, it, it sounds like it's in the other person's interest, but it's not. It's really about protecting ourselves from whatever mm -hmm. blowback we're worried about getting by trying oh, to sure. manage their emotions, which I love the way you said that. Those aren't my emotions to manage or deal with in the first place. I've only got yeah. responsibility for my own. And by trying to do that, I'm probably not owning my own feelings of whatever, insecurity, whatever. So I'm also being irresponsible for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the way around, compounding. Well, and the other element of responsibility as you were talking, and I know that the switch is shared on one end, isolated on the other. All of the shared side of that switch on, we're very forward looking. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm responsible or how are we going to address going forward? I mm. can't, there's whatever is in the past is in the past. Responsibility is only forward looking. Yeah. What am I going to do? What are we going yep. to do now? Yes. And you know, capability is, is probably the, uh, you know, I've never thought of a time span value is forever obviously capability is probably spanning the past and the future because, okay, what happened? What can we learn from it? What are we going to do next? And then responsibility, how are we going to change things going forward? So it doesn't happen again, mm -hmm. or we increase, reduce the likelihood of errors or whatever that is. Um, absolutely forward-looking. Cool. All right. Well, we'll come up with a new graph for a future uh, a white paper or something, the time yeah. elements of these switches. Yeah. All right. Talking with Dr. Nate Regeer, Compassion and Accountability is the book, How Leaders Build Connection and Get Results. 
And uh, a few more questions before we get done here, Nate, sure. but uh, where can we connect with you, find the book, uh, all the supplemental, you've got a lot of goodies that are going with yeah. it, everything else that's happening here. Well, I'm learning a few things along the journey. This is my fourth book and I make it really simple. Compassionateaccountabilitybook.com. Boom. That's it. There it is. Compassionateaccountabilitybook.com. And even if you're on the treadmill or driving right now, <laughs> I know you can remember that. All right. And so what can we find when we get there? What do you have for us? All kinds of things. Obviously some things about the book. I've got some videos about different me answering some questions about behind the scenes. There are bulk order specials. If you want to buy in bulk, you can get all kinds of cool stuff all the way up to me coming to your place to do a free keynote presentation. Um, and there is a diagnostic assessment there. The, the appendix, which is the compassionate accountability assessment can be downloaded there. Encourage you to do that. I just finished this morning, a, um, an organizational diagnostic with a company where we use this to assess the whole culture. And the results were so revealing and encouraging and gave them such specific guidance on where they can go start making changes, positive changes, and also what they can celebrate in their culture now. So it's a great foundation and uh, you can get that all from that same page. So I encourage you to make your way over at compassionateaccountabilitybook.com and take advantage of those resources. All right, so let's get into uh, just two more topics I wanna address here um, as we're talking about compassion accountability. And, and, and again, for listeners, we have been talking about these switches and the, and the way that we approach these things, the practical outworkings of some of these, there are so many tools in the book to help you with that. But our, my hope in this conversation is that we're creating hunger for you to go, oh yes, I need that. That's going to be life-changing for me because it will if you get it and implement. So um, one of the, the things that you talk about that I just think is so critical because so many leaders try to skip this step is setting behavior norms. Yes. Uh, and you have a, a, a probably the most um, thought through model I've ever seen in terms of setting behavior norms. And, and this is so important. As I said, so many people try to skip straight to the accountability mm. part or get frustrated and all that when we haven't done this part. So let's talk yes. about setting those, these norms. Well, uh, Ken Blanchard said it best. One of his simple truths of leadership is that um, those who plan the battle rarely battle the plan. And so it has to be co-developed. We have to co-create these things. And so, yes, behavior norms is something that we've been using and evolving and, and kind of, um, I wouldn't say perfecting, but evolving in our work for 15 or 20 years is you have to set the standards for how are we going to be with each other, whatever that is. And we have to all buy in and have to co-create it or else we're not going to own it. You know what they say, without, without, um, buy, without weigh-in, there's no buy-in. Um, and so we have a whole process for how to create behavior norms around the three switches. And we work with companies to do that. And there, there's kind of a process that we can facilitate with, with, with doing that. But man, when you put those out there and start talking about them, it's really, it really can change your culture. Changes the culture. And, and then you've got something that you can hold one another accountable to. You yes. can practice yes. that together. But without that, we're lost and frustrated yeah. and fumbling around and just so, so important. All right. Well, so I'm accountable to you and I'm account and I'm responsible for living the switches, but I'm accountable to you about that because you're my community. And we do yeah. that in community with one mm -hmm. another. It's, it's, just, it's just so beautiful. All right. Final question here as we, we get to tie a bow on everything and that is barriers. And you've got a whole section mm -hmm. of barriers, uh, 
people say compassion is soft. People say compassion can't be learned. And so you, you tackle each of these barriers and, and walk us through why that's not a barrier. Help, help people overcome that. In yeah, yeah. Which for you is the barrier that you find to be most frequent or most challenging for people to overcome? Thank you. Um, that's a, I've been asked that lately a couple of times and I've been reflecting on that and probably the one that compassion is soft is the biggest barrier. And interestingly, that one, that is perpetuated by the most common definitions that compassion is empathy in action. So you have to have empathy, which many people think as big heart soft. And also if you think about coming out, you know, I talked about the industrial revolution coming into this era of results matter, and we have to get stuff done and perform at the higher, higher than we ever have. Um, so people that are on that end of the spectrum have a really hard time with the idea of compassion because they think it's soft, everything's going to fall apart and it's going to be, uh, a no, you know, anything goes and, and people are going to take advantage of you. So that chapter, I really put a lot of thought into on how do we provide a way for people to rethink that and come on board in a way that doesn't compromise your integrity or your results. And ultimately that struggle with ought to be helping us achieve those results. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And in the end. And in the end. All right. We've been talking with Dr. Nate Regeer. The book is Compassionate Accountability, How Leaders Build Connection, Get Results. You can find out more at compassionateaccountabilitybook.com. Nate, we've come to the end of our time together this time around. Final words for our listeners as we're thinking about getting started yeah. and moving with compassionate accountability. Well, this, this new era of, of compassion has proven one thing, and that is that leaders can no longer have the luxury of choosing one over the other. Um, we used to be able to get away with it. You could be kind or you could get results. No longer. The new generation demands both in full measure. And when you look at all of the leadership research, all of the engagement research, the truth is that the young, smart, talented generation, they want full measure of both. And so when you bring them together, it is your best formula for creating thriving cultures. They want it and your business won't succeed without it. Ultimately, it is it, the it, competitive advantage. It is. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Well, listeners, thanks for being with us and joining us in the conversation here. I encourage you go out, practice compassionate accountability and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Nate, thanks for joining us on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, David. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>